Hey guys, I'm Adam Rappaport, and this is the Bon Appetit Foodcast. All right, this week we have on Stella Bugby, editor-in-chief and president of New York Magazine's The Cut. The Cut is not a food website, but I think if you were to take a survey of Bon Appetit editors, it just might be their favorite overall. Aside from running the most whip-smart women in culture site out there, Stella is an avid home cook. I talked to her about how, in The Cut's words, she gets it all done. All right, let's do this. Okay, Stella, did we figure out what we're going to talk about on this podcast? I'm in your hands. <laughs> I'm just going to punt this one to you. You're the host. <laughs> okay, what'd you cook for dinner last night? Uh, last night, I marinated a flank steak mm. in a chipotle rub. Wow, very, yeah. very 90s of you. I know. Very Bobby Flay of you. I know. And then I grilled it. And then my kid... Charcoal or gas? I don't know, it was like wood things that, that say they're supposed to be organic or something. I don't know. But I mean, is like it, is it? Oh, yeah, no, it was like charcoal. You charcoal. build a little oh, thing. Yeah, and, the chimney. You got yeah, the chimney? The chimney. You're doing hand signals over here. Like you're pouring the <laughs> I'm chimney. I'm pouring out. the chimney onto the little tiny, you know, Weber grill that I have. Yeah, like a little round grill. I'm really like low maintenance. Less, you know. No, that's cool. I would say we've probably written about the charcoal chimney more than any other tool in Bon Appetit over the last eight years. Probably the charcoal chimney and the cast iron skillet are like neck and neck for the most endorsed products. Totally. That and like a pepper grinder and you're 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 good. good. And then we had, I made the kids make a kale salad. Oh, I saw you on your Instagram. You had one of your kids scrunching, massaging the kale (laughs) as she read about in magazines like this one once again. Where you say, yeah, so that's to sort of like loosen up and just sort of break up the toughness of the kale. Really, it's just so that I can get my kid to come to the sink and get his hands in some food. So I would I just, like, if I could just get my kid to touch something green, that I would know. be like, I, you yeah. don't even have to eat it, Marlon. Just touch it. Just and massage it's, it. It's not going to kill you. See? <laughs> it's all right. It's not going to hurt. Three kids. Three kids. Oldest boy, girl, twins, mm-hmm. younger boy. Eight. Was this, who was doing the massaging? Eight year old. Eight year old. Okay. Yeah. He's my little chef. <laughs> my little chef. My little chef. So they don't really like the minced garlic because it's too much. So I just throw whole cloves of garlic and when he's massaging I just it like kisses the oh interesting greens and then it doesn't overpower them do you ever do that thing like do you ever back I feel like this was an 80s technique where you would take a halved clove of garlic and you would rub the salad bowl (laughs) with the garlic clove yes to make your um caesar salad Yes, or any, anything yeah. where you wanted that sort of suggestion of garlic yes. without overpoweringness. Of well, so you garlic. can do the same thing by just chucking yeah, whole cloves like in while you're massaging. Okay, the thing. so you massage it, then and then what? some lemon and some sea salt and some really delicious uh, olive oil from Greece. And that's it. That's it. Hmm. hmm. I would like a little something extra. Oh, I did put pepper in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, like I'm a salt and pepper cooker. All right, that's good. Did the eight year old eat the kale salad? Oh yeah. I had my kid do an internship with the you. The night before, I had grilled radicchio, and they all ate that too. Ooh, yeah. Did you did did you do a little drizzle of balsamic afterwards? I, I did. Yeah, it's good though because <laughs> yes. like the radicchio is bitter and charred. Yes. So you need a little something sweet afterwards. Yes, a little bit. Okay, so we've got lots of things to talk about. One of which it seems I went back and reread your piece on our healthiest uh, site, uh, your morning routine. I kind of wanted to hate you after reading it, but I'm like, oh, I know Stella. She's a nice person. <laughs> but you, it's like, oh, you wake up, you do yoga, you make breakfast, you make dinner. Like, there's no way you can do all this stuff before leaving the house. 
I know. Everybody hates that article. <laughs> Everybody thinks I'm full of shit. It's also like, what's your husband doing this time? Like, you're literally doing everything. Mm-hmm. Is this every morning? Well, so it was, but then my kids transferred schools. So now I have to leave the house at like the crack of dawn. It's a big schlep. So now I manage to make breakfast and lunch and prep a dinner. That's but I don't have time for yoga. <laughs> If I get up early enough, I do at least one load of laundry. Oh, my gosh. Usually. All right. You know, I've always thought of it as an asset until <laughs> just now. It is an asset. It just makes the rest of us feel bad about ourselves. That's your problem. No, literally, though, like, after that article came out, um, it really I didn't realize how put out people would feel by my morning routine. Like, <laughs> You're like, what's the big deal? Well, like, I'm not saying anyone else should do this. It's just... You know, that's my routine. A lot of people exercise and, you know, run and do things that are good for them. So you're coming on the podcast. We we would not have gotten as much of a response from our editors if Beyonce came on the podcast. Wow. We put out a slack. Um, I don't believe you. No, it's true. <laughs> Emily Schultz wants to know if you will be her... Ask her if she wants to be my mom slash mentor slash best friend. She is my queen. Then you had... Who else? You had the other ones. Can I just what? be her mom? You can just be her mom. You can have another <laughs> kid, you know? Yeah, I need another Why kid. Why not? Throw I mean, it on like, there. She's good at cooking, right? She can come over. Schultz is good. She's good at drinking, basically. Mm, that's, that, that works. Sasha Levine wants to know if you will marry her. <laughs> um, so on and so forth. But I guess I was just curious, job-wise, work-wise, the editors at BA, the cut is the brand slash site that is referenced most and I in terms of like oh did you see that, that thing on the cut oh that thing like the cut does etc cetera, etc cetera. and I always feel that what's interesting to the editors is probably going to be interesting to our readers slash users listeners etc cetera, etc cetera. when you started like how much were you thinking like oh I want this to be the site that sparks conversations that people are talking about that sort of taps into what's what's happening and that's all I think about Really, like I, I think about the things that we talk about as a group of people on staff, and then I think about like the things that people tell me they're talking about with their friends, and we, I listen to conversations, if you want to call them conversations, on Twitter, and I see things that are happening like on Instagram or you know in other places, and I, I find all those to be conversations, and so I'm just like thinking, okay, well, people are talking about X or people are talking about Y. What are we going to add to that conversation? How are we going to make people take that conversation a little further or, or even start that conversation for a bigger group of people? Like if you see a small group of people are having a conversation, I mean, I don't know how this applies to you particularly, but I'm sure there's an equivalent for what you're doing. You think, okay, well, I'm going to take that conversation. I'm going to make it available to you know 20 times the number yeah. of people that are but having But because it. you think there's something in that conversation that probably will resonate with more people, even if they're not in that conversation, they'll be like, oh, totally. Yeah, like my favorite thing to do is is name a trend. Like, you know, we brought the idea of Normcore to the masses and you saw basically this like immediate as soon as we published our piece about Normcore. Which was when? Oh god, like two thousand thirteen mm-hmm. or fourteen. Yeah. I gotta fact check that. <laughs> so long ago I don't even remember. But I do remember that when it came out, I think the next week there were fifty thousand Google search uh, search of, you know, results for the name for the term Normcore that didn't previously exist the week before yeah. so it was obviously a thing that like identified a thing that everybody was feeling or seeing or doing and then we gave it a name and we gave it kind of like well we didn't actually name it but we kind of exposed it to the world and that's where I get like 
that's the super fun part, right? You're kind of creating these, creating and naming a social trend or a social uh, experience for people. You talk about this in terms of like print versus digital, but I always feel that the digital sphere is so much more of a conversation than print is, especially back in the day where print, you would print something, you would send it out, and then if you worked at a monthly, you might you literally would have no idea whether or not someone read your piece. And maybe they did and loved it, but unless they wrote you a letter, like it, there was that was the end of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I worked in print for years, and when I was thinking about coming to the cut, it was actually that immediate response thing that I liked the most. And back then, in 2011, when I started, it was all in, happening in the comments section. You know, Twitter and Instagram and, and these other platforms were not a thing yet. So it would be like, you would go to the comments section, you would see who yeah. was saying what, and then you would have these kind of dynamic relationships with certain people who would comment all the time. And sometimes those people at other sites actually became writers for those sites or became you know, legitimate internet writers on their own. And then, you know, it morphed, it kind of moved, the conversation moved off of the sites themselves and onto these sort of bigger social platforms that like, I don't know, that's like really fun. You put something out, you can immediately hear what people are saying about it. You can talk back. You can think about the way you assign a piece even before it goes out into the world. Think, okay, well, this is really going to upset so-and-so or this is really going to, you know, poke so-and-so in the eye you know it's it's fun do you feel that like getting back to your morning routine that with a job like this because that conversation digitally is always going you always have to be on like you're always sort of firing yeah I definitely felt that way for like seven straight years (laughs) I (laughs) I would wake up I would be like on but now I have a deputy Ruth Spencer and I have like an incredible team of actual you know, senior editors, because we've all kind of come up in it now. And so I can come midday and do a podcast and I'm not like, oh yeah. shit, I got to look at my phone right now. So there's enough people who yeah. now think like you and can process like you who have yeah. a great radar and can be like, oh, this is going to be a good story. Yeah. And they'll text you and you're like, oh yeah, totally. Go for it. Or they won't text me. It's all happening in Slack. Yeah. You know, it's my oh, yeah, problem to whether or not I'm paying attention to the Slack. And, you know, I will go into Slack and say like, you know, when uh, over last weekend when um, the... Tati Westbrook scandal happened on YouTube. My daughter said to me, do you remember that James Charles kid I always watch? There's this scandal going on on YouTube. And I immediately went over to the Slack channel. I didn't even know what was going on. And I said, like, it was a Saturday. I said to our weekend editor, go look into this right away. This is going to be a huge story. It's probably going to be our number one story for the month. So it's a little bit of just like having a radar of your own and being like, oh, that's that's a story that's going to hit really big. So then, but then, all right, let's talk about because... I didn't even actually know what the story was. I, I just no knew. Idea. I just knew what the people. I knew that the people involved in that story were going to be a very of great interest to our readers, and so I just told. I just directed our editor, like, go look into it, and and lo and behold, it was a big deal. So then, in terms of that filter, that editor's filter, you've got to apply to things that are happening. The site it has evolved a lot over the years. From what would you describe it at first? When Women's I, fashion site. Yeah, it was like a snarky fashion site that was extremely outsidery, but for insiders, people who really enjoyed making fun of the fashion industry, but from kind of from inside of it. Yeah. And how do you describe it now? Like a women's lifestyle and politics website, 
magazine. <laughs> so, so, but then if something's going on in that pop cultural world, like you're like, okay, well, what is this is a thing that's happening? What is our way in? Like, what is what what, what will our readers care about Game of Thrones or whatever in a way that someone else is not writing about it? So, I just always go by the writers and the editors that we have. So, actually, it changes over time. Like, if you you know certain if a certain super strong writer is is writing a lot that can actually change the tone of the site you know and i keep it i like put up guardrails and i definitely sort of say like there is a tone and we are trying to achieve this tone but if If somebody if someone's talented enough they can well if they're obsessed with like mark ruffalo they're gonna you know write 400 articles about him then suddenly have you met my wife (laughs) (laughs) yes i have but whoever you know, like like we had my writer Allison Davis is obsessed with Rick Rubin. So or like we for a while we're obsessed with the Hot Bird, and you know things become fixations on the site yeah. and fixations with the staff. So that's kind of how we decide like how to decide whether to cover Game of Thrones. Like not that many people on the cut watch Game of Thrones, so we're going to cover it from a very specific kind of funny, ironic, eye rolly slash semi-serious way. But know? do you feel, how much do you feel over the years as the, as the site has really sort of gained its sharpness and its voice? I obviously, I mean, I follow you guys on the platforms and obviously read a lot of stuff. Like, there's a lot of things that you're like, okay, I guess this is a aimed at women, but there's so much stuff that's also just like, oh, that's just a great timely on-the-mark piece in the same way that if GQ does a really good piece about pop culture, it's not a men's site. It's just like, oh, that's a a piece you should be reading right now. Yeah, totally. I don't. I think of us as pretty general interest, but but like technically, I think we are a women's website. We're almost entirely women who write. It, so as is Bon Appetit these days. Yeah. Um, I mean, by default, that's that's what happens. But you know, I think that we the things that the main thing that has changed is not necessarily the tone or the outlook, but the ambition level. Um, over the years has just gotten out of control. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's become a much deeper evolved site, and then you, I imagine there are some issues within New York, what do you guys call it, New York Magazine? Media. media. New York, New York media? media. New York Media, where it's like, oh, well, the cut's doing this, so then should NewYorkMag.com not, or wait, the Vulture wanted to do something on this, but wait, oh, the cut's already doing something on it. How often does that happen? That never happens. No, we need to we need to have like little like emojis that pop up while you're listening to like the expressions that the person is given. It's actually pretty collaborative, and in fact, now I work a lot on the magazine. The magazine editors work a lot online, so it's we're all sitting. What does that mean? You work a lot on the magazine. Like I, you know, all the senior editors from print and web all work together. So we all come up with stories for both print and Mm -hmm. online. We work on issues together a lot of the times. Like I think. In the next issue, all three of the main features are going to show up on the cut, just because they seem topically most aligned to us and our readers. But actually, now that there's a digital subscription, we're sort of more unified in our approach than we used to be, because once you subscribe, you subscribe to everything. So if you subscribe through the cut, you're still getting Vulture and the magazine yeah. and everything else. And traffic-wise so, and advertising-wise, it's all spread across. And it's yeah. like everyone, everyone benefits. Yeah, so it's a little bit... It's actually the business model is actually changing, and and that's the thing. Like every, I feel like every six months the business model has changed. Not not the business model, but the whole industry has changed, right? I think, like, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's it, like you oh, know. you're chasing traffic. Oh, you're chasing Facebook. Oh, you're chasing yeah. you know this or that. And now we're literally trying to build a subscription business, a successful one, and we are on the way to doing that. So 
you have can you please tell me how <laughs> by being really really good <laughs> that seems to be the answer like and okay, having a website that works yeah, yeah that helps, that yeah. helps also i've found yeah, yeah. having yeah. Um, apple pay i think on the editorial side it's weirdly almost easier if you're passionate and you care about something like you guys at the cut do and you are like have an incisive sense of humor whether you're doing a podcast about it or writing an article or tweeting or instagramming or doing a video you can do that as long as you have your take. What's harder is for the business side to figure out where the money is. Because I, I do think every six months that target moves and they're constantly having like, oh, run over here, run over there. And then, you know, let's invest in this, let's invest in that. Yeah, I mean, I think if you have a real conversation going on with your readers, not just like a, not just paying lip service to like, oh, I'm talking to these women and these yeah. people. It's like, we really are talking to them. Which I think about that relationship more than I think about any other relationship is sort of not letting that you know fall by the wayside just because we have to get a lot of traffic so I don't, like, the best way to, I could say is like sometimes we do stories and we get accused of doing them because of the clicks or something like that and I, I can promise you that we're not doing that like we're, if it seems dumb and we're doing it we just want to do it. It's, mm. not, yeah. it's like, we do like the Royals. That's why we cover them. <laughs> you know, you could stay there, you know, you could sit there and say like, um, and we do get these letters from people that are saying, this is so stupid. How could you cover this? It's like, well, we think it's funny and we like it. So like, that's why we're covering it. Sorry. Um, I don't know. I think it's it's extremely instinctual, instinctual and you have to kind of like have a lot of conviction in the things you're covering. How often have you been like, you know what, that was meaner than we needed to be. How often does that happen these days? I'm trying to cut down on that <laughs> feeling. <laughs> you know what happens. Like, I don't get to read everything that goes up. I don't get to police every single piece. Yeah, can you explain piece. that to for people who don't work in media and who aren't editors, the amount of content that goes up and what your job entails? Like, you are not just sitting at your computer all day editing words. That's, like, physically not possible given your demands, I imagine. No, not anymore. I mean, there was times in which I would be in that Slack channel, yesing and knowing every every link that got put in. Yeah. And, and my favorite, my literal favorite thing to do, like if I could sit down all day and do one thing, it would be writing headlines for pieces. Mm. Like that is like, and before the piece gets written, you I like to come work upon a petite. Maybe <laughs> if everything else goes south, I wouldn't mind. But I I feel like the like the thing I like to do is sit there and and somebody puts in a link about. I don't know, like some horse or something and, or a girl jumping around like a horse. And to me, it's like, that's just an opportunity to write a great joke. And so we sit around and we have a, a Slack channel that's called Headlines and we just make jokes until we, or, you know, fine tune that headline until it sounds exactly like us. And I could do that all day. That's like my favorite thing to do. How long did that take? I remember when I first came to BA in 2011, like it took a while. It was an all new staff. None of us had ever worked together before because they relaunched the magazine from LA. And having worked at GQ for 10 years or at least seven years with most of the same people under Jim Nelson, there was that very much house sense of humor, voice point of view, and you could basically, like, oh yeah, I got it. You want to do like this, but with that, boom, boom, done. And then coming together for the first time and trying to communicate, like, no, 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 that's not funny. This is funny. And people just kind of look at you like, well, why is that funny, but this isn't funny? And you're like, just because. <laughs> yeah. I don't, we, all, we all talk so much that it, that it just comes together. When I got there, it already had a great, it already had great tone. Okay. So I inherited a, yeah. a little gem already. But 
people come, people go. Some people stay. There's never been a fully new staff. So yeah. it's just sort of people come and you coach come them. Hand off the baton. You sort of say like, well, that, you know, in the headline sack, it's like people, you know, I'm a big fan of writing 25 headlines till you get the one that's the right one. Is this in between making lunch and dinner or between making breakfast and lunch? <laughs> and you're writing the 25 this is headlines. like sometimes on the subway. I'll just be writing, like writing headlines. Got the salad spinner going with the right hand, tech slacking with the left thumb. Like no joke. <laughs> um, I'm often I'm often on my phone while I'm doing other things. But yeah, like Do you have I, carpal tunnel in I, your one of your thumbs? I don't. More than wow, gosh. No, I have a gigantic phone though. It keeps me from going blind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So kind of I actually. When I feel like the headlines are veering in like either a boring direction or too straight of a direction, or they've just lost a bit of the the like bite or the tone that I want, I'll do a headline boot camp in which I book out my whole calendar for the week, chunks of hours of time in which I'll just be in that headline slack, like working on the headlines. Wow. So so that I'm does so your, I sort does of like, your staff know this is coming, or are they like God, Stella's been on slack so much this week. Don't you don't know. give them the heads up. I don't know. You make it seem like they hate me. <laughs> no, it's just like, but you're the boss. Like, you're still intimidating if you're on there, you know. I don't think anybody's intimidated of me, but by me. But Emma, anyway. what do you think? Emma's like, Emma's she, like just gave no. a, she just gave a fake no. <laughs> Emma's not intimidated. Anyway, I'll go in and, or sometimes like retroactively, I'll just change headlines. I'll mm-hmm. talk, I'll slack the writer and I'll say like, I think we could have done better. Or I'll you know, write a headline for a piece, let's say by Rebecca Traster, and I see that it's not taking off the way I want it to take off. And, you know, I can watch it in real time, how many people are reading it. And then I'll slack Ruth and I'll say like, maybe we should change the headline. I didn't get it right. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. we'll go back to one of the other 26 that I've <laughs> written and then we'll try that. And if that doesn't work, we'll try another one. So I think it's, I'm not afraid to change the headlines. I'm not afraid to like, after the fact, go in and tell a writer like, hey, you know, great piece. I think if we had framed it differently, it probably would have done better. Or, you know, sometimes a piece is really bad, but you put a great headline on it and it does amazingly well. So to me, well, it's does really, it do amazingly well or yes. people just click on it? Well, that's that's no, but it's like there's a difference between like people re-clicking and reading it and being like, oh, that was an awesome piece and someone just clicking on it and opening it. And that's what's annoying about the Internet sometimes is like that doesn't necessarily mean it's good. And oh, that, I didn't. You, I, yeah. I said sometimes bad. a bad piece will do well. But it quite, I'm not saying it's good. It does quote unquote well. Well, yes. yeah. I mean, but, you traffic. know, I'm I'm in the game yeah. of trying to get people to come to this website and and read it and subscribe to it. So I am a big fan of kind of framing things before you write them because I think that actually helps. If you have a great headline and a great deck, because to me it's both. You write the headline and the deck together, and they kind of the deck for those not in the biz is like the subhead. The yeah, sub-head. and often it's the punchline, like to the joke. For me, like I think of a headline as the setup and the deck as the you know the punchline. Yeah, I would just interject for those of you who don't follow the cut or read the cut just go online and you'll get a sense of what Stella's talking about you guys do a remarkably good job it like you're like and it's also a it's not only funny or witty but it's also like oh totally like the, the response is often totally yes I get it yeah that's actually my my hope is that what we do is spark some sort of recognition about a thing that you were thinking but you didn't know you were thinking you had mentioned once that as much as you love being an online editor and tapping into this digital conversation and what's going on out there that you don't enjoy editing print these days. Did I say that? You did say that. <laughs> of actually having to work on the print medium. Let's not say don't enjoy, but you get less satisfaction out of it. Explain the difference. 
Why is wh- how is that different? I think what I meant was <laughs> that I don't fetishize print over digital. I think that there's still this like tendency, especially for people who worked in print, to prioritize it or to think like, well, it's not real or serious until it's on paper and in bound in a magazine and sent to you in the mail. And to me, that's like I don't I don't care about that at all. Even though I came from that, yeah. it's just like it means nothing to me now. I think it's nice. It's it's always nice to see. I think writers like to see their names in print, but uh, readers don't care, I don't think. So that's my personal I think opinion. celebrities like to see their photos in print. Yeah. They like to be on the cover of a print product. Yeah, I think that still has some hold for some people. So I'm not saying it's not important. It's just that for me, I don't enjoy it in the way that I used to because I actually prefer the immediacy of the small time glory yeah. of like publishing something and seeing it immediately. No, it's a completely different Get RPM. Reacted. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. Like we are literally, I was, it's what's today? May 19th, 20th, May 20th. And right before I came to meet you, we were looking at our August feature, our whole entire August issue, which is basically done. Which was probably shot like last August. <laughs> oh, some of it was yeah. literally. Yeah. Cause if right. you want real tomatoes, you got to right. shoot them last right. August. Their blackberries and are not available. No. In, you know, and January. there's something up and like you can, yeah, again, you can fetishize like the layout and the craft and all that stuff. But it's also like, I've been looking at the same freaking story for three weeks now, you know, and like with little bits of tweaks here and there. Yeah. You're going to make it like 5% better. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to make it. My creative it. director is who you know, Michelle Outlet, and God bless her. But those, it's just like, the, yeah, that sort of return on investment of time spent and how much better does it get? And then you still don't see the magazine for another three and a half weeks after you send it to the printer. And you're like, it does seem anachronistic to the world we live in now. But there's something, I still enjoy having something in my hand that's permanent and sits on your coffee table for a month. Yeah. I love. I like your magazine. I, I have. I have one on my desk, <laughs> and I actually think for cooking, especially, it's a, it's so much about being able to like hold it, bring it into the kitchen, get it wet, get it dirty, not care about it. You know. Do you think the cut as a brand? Do you think it has sort of achieved its place among these more sort of legacy titles? Like a Vanity Fair or something. Can I be the judge of that? I don't know if I can actually judge. Yeah, that. you can. I, I know how. Well, you can tell us how you feel. Do you feel like oh, the cut gets just as much respect, quote unquote, as some of these bigger, older titles? It's as important. I don't know. I think you can only measure that in. Well, you can measure that in a couple of ways. You can measure that in reader loyalty. You can measure that in like the kind of access publicists will give you to celebrities, and mm. you can you can measure that in advertising dollars. So no, I don't think we've achieved it yet. I think with certain a certain demographic, myself included, would rather read my own website than the aforementioned website. <laughs> and that's not to say that like but you know I'm gonna get first dibs on yeah. um, you know Rihanna. I'm no, probably I, not. I, like I, so. I do think that's astute though to sort of divide it up into categories. Like yes, publicists are kind of inherently more old school, but in terms of what people are talking about and reading right now. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, the cut. Like, that's kind of the first thing that pops into my mind. And, like, if you look at ask any of our editors, that's where their conversation ideas, sort of reflections are coming from. Well, I hope so. that's true. I mean, no, I know, it like, is true, you know, when I talk to somebody like Elizabeth Warren and I pitch her that she should, you know, cover Game of Thrones for us, like, I'm, I hope, and she did. It's sort of like, well, that's that's a kind of a thing. And, and why? Had, because she likes the gun. And, and she got it. 
Yeah, she thought yeah. it was funny. She thought yeah. it was a good opportunity. She loves Game of Thrones. So it's like, well, take that sensibility about, you know, socio-political, economical thinking and apply it to this pop culture phenomenon that everybody loves. It's like, we're really the only website that would provide her with that opportunity and then have it not, you know, have it be taken seriously. But way. then like, who did you have to go through? Her publicist. Her publicist. And yeah. her publicist is like, oh, the cut's cool. You should do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. She yeah. knows who the cut You know, Elizabeth exactly. Warren knows who the cut is. So to me, it's like, does you know, do we get to talk to the people that we want to talk to? Do we um, get to have the conversations about those people that we want to have? I think so. Yeah. I also think that that process culturally at large always takes longer than you think. Like in your mind as an editor and as a site, you feel like, oh, we're there. We're already doing the best work. I don't feel we're there at all. I want to be way farther along than we are. I think you're pretty there. But listen, yes, you can always get better. There's deeper things you can do, et cetera. But I think it's always what's obvious to you. It always takes longer. I mean, you, I just mean anyone in this sort of business. It takes longer for it to resonate to a broader sort of audience where everyone's like on the same page as you, the people who work there are. Yeah. I mean, I, I do know that my editors and my writers are always getting poached. I think that's probably that's the good. best indication. But that's, but yes, but that's, that that's also, we must be doing something right because people want to take my people all But the that's time. also within the industry. Yeah, but, that's, but to me that's like if, if your people are getting stolen from under you, that's a good sign. Good sign, pain in the ass to have. I think that when the cut has its own show, um, uh, like Bill Maher, then I will feel like maybe we've, See, there <laughs> we've go. gotten where we should be. What, um, Couple more things before we get to our lightning round. Mm. Mm. What, do I um, get like? Do I get like shots during that? <laughs> exactly. There's like a lot of alcohol in your. Um, We're getting in what's your the, test kitchen. I noticed. What's the cinnamon stuff? Fireball or whatever? Or is that a different one? I can't even keep track of what the kids are drinking these days. I totally have a meeting with editor in chief David Haskell soon, so I should show up yes. after this with. A... Oh, how and when does food surface on the on the cut? So for years, I was like, no food on the cut because food is is the is super unfashiony and also unfeminist to to like combine wow. with us. So I put a ban on food until about like maybe a year ago. Really? Maybe a little more than a year. Like so, beginning of 2018, we started a column in which one of our writers, Madeline Agler, was trying to teach herself how to cook. It's called Over Easy. And she was terrible. She was like a horrible cook. <laughs> so the you know the conceit was like, I'm really bad, and here I go. In the course of the year, she sort of did teach herself some things. We did a podcast about it, and she made a terrible, horrible dinner party. Carla Lolly Music, your oh yeah, your what is she your food director? Food director came on our podcast and helped her a little salvage her bad cream puffs that she made. But that was it. That was the extent of our cooking. <laughs> Even though I love to cook, but you, I don't know why. I don't, that's great, but you love to cook. Food, obviously, oh, but there's food and there's restaurants and there's food culture. Well, there's Grub Street also. And so I didn't want yeah, to have yet another website. You don't have any problem writing about cultural stuff and just, you know, taking stuff from Vulture. I think that, that <laughs> actually the cuts approach to culture and Vulture's approach to culture are radically different. Mm. And I think that you wouldn't even have any crossover readers. But like, but then, like, what about, like, sweet green stuff or stuff like that where you not even, like, touch food, pop culture, or someone, or, you know, like, Justin Bieber is super into this or that, or, you know. Like, if we found out that Bieber had a favorite snack, we would definitely write about that. Yes. <laughs> but I don't think we would, like, tell you how to roast a chicken. No. 
Yeah. We did that once, and it just, nobody cares. But there's a difference between cooking and food. But the thing is, you guys do such a good job of that. Oh, that yes. We don't need to do that. <laughs> no, but really, I actually think that to do, it's it's one of those things where, and I'm not like kissing your ass, but you have to actually have a test kitchen. You have to actually have people who know what they're doing. Yeah. To, but I'm saying, but, you could, but you, can't you write about food culture or restaurant sort of stuff independent of cooking? Sure. And like actual recipes and yeah. things. Like we, we wrote about avocado toast at its exactly. pinnacle. And we write we read about it more from a kind of cultural yeah. trend. But you're like, place. we'll do that, but we're like not we going to get lot into actual cooking. Moon juice and crazy mm. crazy diets and, you know, Twitter guys fasting and things like that. Um, and actually Edith Zimmerman, who is a phenomenally funny writer, has a deep interest in food. And she has started a column called How Should a Person Eat? Mm. That's kind of an exploration into extreme food trends and like a little bit kooky ideas about food. How much do you drink these days? Are you like a cocktail a night person? I'm not. You're not? No. How could I be a yoga dinner breakfast I know. That's my problem. person I, and a drinker? I've been That's drinking, the thing. I've been drinking less, but I still, there's so many of those nights where I come home, I'm just like, I gotta have it. I just need something to look forward to. No, I... I, uh, I look forward to seeing my family. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. You're just making it's more of us feel terrible you. about ourselves. I love my life. No, I actually just try not to drink because, you know, I got to get up. And I do like alcohol. I just don't <laughs> drink it very much. I try not to. A couple more things. Going to the world of snark or this or that, you also then delve into the world of, like, internet haters and trolls and comments do you have any sort of advice or guidelines like how to deal or not deal, when to ignore, when to engage over the years that you've learned as a brand or you personally? Yeah, it's so hard. I think um, I feel so much sympathy for like my youngest writers who who feel like a crazy level of pressure to not screw up and not get dragged and not make a mistake online because I think they think their whole career will be over afterward. But um, if you're too cautious, then you're going to write boring stuff. Totally. So you have to just, I think everybody has in their head like a person who they're writing for. And I just encourage people not to make it Twitter, all of Twitter. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think the minute, you know, and I'm very, I'm, I get very allergic to like a headline that sounds like a Twitter joke. And there's and Twitter jokes these days, they, their, their life cycle is like 24 hours. You know, there'll be a Twitter joke and it'll be, then it'll be dead and you can never use it again. Which is really like, to me, the only value of being on Twitter at this point is just to make sure that you're not making Twitter bad, bad <laughs> Twitter jokes and headlines. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I I think that you really have to have like a, a get off and have perspective. But you can say that till you're blue in the face and nobody nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear that. Okay, because you have to get back to work because you got a website to run and yeah. dinner to make and I've everything. Got, I've got a um, an editorial meeting oh. to host in my office. Matcha or black tea? Ooh, both. Mm, both in the same day. Which is one in the morning and one later in day, or yeah, well, either one in the morning and then either one in the afternoon. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I pretty much do one of each every day. In the summer, do you go iced or is it always hot? Always hot. Wow, fascinating. <laughs> clogs or flats? Oof. Wedges. Never clogs. <laughs> Never clogs. Sorry. Wow. Sorry, team thought, clogs. <laughs> I there's a lot of clog lovers at BA. I know, man. Don't hate me because I don't like clogs. And never, ever Crocs. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm with Fighting words. One. Fighting words. I know. Roast chicken or fried chicken? Fried chicken. Really? Do you have a favorite from somewhere or do you ever make it? I make it. Do you really? Yeah, I'm really good at it. Wow. 
and you're from New York. Mm-hmm. Where's your technique? Where's is there a master recipe you rely on? I think I've used yours. Oh. I Google fried best fried <laughs> right, chicken right, recipe, right. And, and then, then you do when yours me. come up, I usually when we, will you yours. do it like in the summer, winter. Like the one thing with fried chicken is you have all the oil, and your house will smell like fried chicken for a week. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I'm on the top floor, so I just like open up all the windows. It's yeah, fine. That's cool. Jumpsuit or high waisted jeans? High waisted jeans. Okay. Um, this is so BA specific. I know. <laughs> I <love> it. <laughs> Text or DM? Oh, DM for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Six person dinner party or 12 person dinner party? Six. Six. Yeah. Is that your ideal size? Yes. So you can have a conversation. Yeah. And a round table. There was like a Gail Green book from, I must be the 70s. Hmm. And she said, always round table. So that's um, where I get that from. My One of my favorite quotes, which I've mentioned before, uh, uh, Ruth Rogers from River Cafe in London, she always says, uh, Big party, small table. Mm. Like mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than the big round table that's too big small and everyone's party, like big far table. apart. Like you want to cram people in there and like yes. pack them in. Yeah. And that's how the restaurants like Balthazar and everything have always done really well. Like, yeah. It's it's tight, it's bustling, and you feel like you're in it. Yeah. Uh, you're a New Yorker, born and raised, right? Mm, raised. Raised. Where were you born? I was born in Santa Fe, New Mexico. If you must know. That's a whole other. No. <laughs> that's another chapter. Uh, but I've been here for 35 years. Annie Hall or Squid in the Whale? Well, I'm like literally Squid in the Whale, so I should choose that. <laughs> you're, you're like that demo, exactly. I mean, I went to high school with that oh, guy's really? brother. Oh, really? Well, no, yeah. a different no, with, one. With okay. Nico, the younger brother. And you but live in Brooklyn? I still live in the brownstone that I, I heard grew up that. in. That's crazy. Yeah. Can't even get into that. Um, poached or scrambled? Scrambled. Very gently. Gently. Do you beat it first or crack them in the, in the pan? I beat it very gently first. Mm. Oh, another shoe question from one of our editors. Birkenstocks or Adidas Superstars? Birkenstocks, ride or die. Wow, okay. Yeah. Which, do you have a favorite color or material these days? I just got the Valentino ones that are red. Oh, yeah. wow. They are So Simone, my hot. wife, who, who you know somewhat, <laughs> she pointed out, she's, her, they, like she and Marlon, my kid, they all both have like the uh, the rubber sort of ones, you know? Those are like Crocs, though. Can't do the Crocs. They're, in theory, good for, like, beachy sort of stuff. But she also pointed out when it's warm out, then they get all, like, rub on your feet, and they're actually really uncomfortable because of, like, the sweat, like, whereas leather absorbs and sort of it's a living creature sort of thing. Or it was. (laughs) (laughs) It would walk around. Someone said, if you don't ask this, I will be upset. BDE or BLT? BDE. Oh, wow. No, even in August. In August, you can go BDE. If you don't know what I that means, folks, you can Google it. and BDE go. every day. All, no, but except for August, like when the tomatoes are in season, you can take one month off and, and choose BLT. No. No? Oh, my God. <laughs> You're out of your mind. Life isn't fun without BDE. It's oh, true. <laughs> all right. No, no, no complaints. Milan Fashion Week or New York Fashion Week? Milan. Yeah, right? Always, yeah. So much more elegant. Totally. Elegant. Go to Biche. Yeah. Last question. Olive oil or butter? Oof. This is like Sophie's choice. I would say olive oil. Stella Bugby, thanks for coming on the pod. Thanks for having me. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Chay and produced and edited by Emma Wurtzman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wurtzman. 
We have new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.